Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good, good. Great. That's what I like to hear. Everybody have a good week? Good week, yeah. Everybody have a good Memorial Day? Yeah. Good. Char some flesh on the grill or something like that, right? It's all about the barbecue. You know, I, I, I missed a couple of days this week. Um, you guys are uh, alerting me to these celebrations after the fact. So someone told me that I missed National Donut Day. Yeah, it's a bummer. And, uh, of course, one that's really high on my list, and that's uh, National Hug Your Cat Day. I don't do cats, just so you know. Um, no offense to anyone who does. Cat lovers. I love you too. But I do want to begin with a question. You guys know I like to ask questions. My question is this. How many of you watch the news? <laughs> That's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, it's hard though, right? It really is. Personally... I try to stay informed, but I can only take the news like in small chunks. And if you've been watching the news lately, you know that there is very little to be excited about these days. Now, I'm not going to bring you down with all the problems of the world, but the reality is there's a war going on, and there's rumors of wars, there's economic uncertainty. You know, this, this pandemic thing, it, it's still hanging around. It doesn't seem to want to go away. Not to mention the divisions that we see among people, right? Divisions about so many different issues. Really, the news can be depressing. Now, how many of you have one of those voice-activated things in your home that you know, does just about everything you want it to. Does anybody have one of those? Nobody's admitting to it. Oh, there's a couple people that do. I think one of them's called Alexa. I know that Google has one as well. And you can tell it to, like, turn your lights off or start your car or play the music that you want to hear. Now, I don't have one because, well, I'm kind of old school. Or you could just say, I'm old. But, you know, it really has something to do, too, with the fact that these things, they have this kind of George Orwell 1984 sort of big brother vibe to them. Now, I am not a conspiracy theorist, so I'm not saying that anyone who has one is being spied on by the government. Not saying that. But, bleh, I don't have one. <laughs> but here's what's really interesting about these things. Google has launched a new app for these devices. So now, when you find that the world news is kind of bringing you down, like it very often will, you can say to this device, Hey Google, tell me something good. And it will. You know, it, it'll dig up some kind of good news that it will share with you. And I'm not sure what it's come up with lately, but some of the stories in the past have included how Georgia State University coupled empathy with data to increase their graduation rate, doubled it. 
that's good news, right? Or how beekeepers in Detroit are bringing back the bee population and boosting the local economy. That's a little bit of good news. Or how Iceland curbed teen drinking with nightly curfews and coupons to a role in extracurricular activities. That's good news. That's good news. But what does this reveal about us? What does this tell us about humanity? Well, it tells me, friends, that we are starving for good news. We are starving to hear something positive. And you know that's true for evangelicals as well. That's why this so-called prosperity gospel is so popular. This health and wealth doctrine that tells you that God rewards faith and hefty giving. He rewards that with wealth and a long and healthy life. These are the kind of things that people want to hear these days. They want to hear good news. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, friends, I'm sorry, but the prosperity gospel, it really is, it's no gospel at all because there's no truth in it. There's no truth in it. It is true that God wants to prosper his people, but that prosperity does not necessarily manifest itself in wealth and health. It more than likely means spiritual prosperity. It may mean what is best for us even if we don't understand God's plan. And isn't this really what we've seen in our study of the book of Habakkuk to this point? You know, our friend Habakkuk, he looked around at his world and he saw a lot of negative things. He saw a lot of bad news, if you will. And Habakkuk prayed to God. He cried out to God. He prayed. And he asked God, do you care? God, do you care about what's going on, the sin and the injustice? And Habakkuk prayed that God would revive the nation of Judah. And if you recall, in response, God gave Habakkuk some kind of, you know, that good news, bad news scenario, right? He said, I got some good news for you. Yes, I am going to address the sin and injustice within the nation of Judah. Good news. But the bad news is, I'm going to use this wicked, cruel, evil nation of Babylon to do it. And, you know, this just didn't make sense to Habakkuk. He didn't understand. And again, he cried out to God and he said, God, how can this be fair? Can this be right? Is this just? And God made it clear that 
while it seemed as though the nation of Babylon was getting away with something, they would be judged as well in God's timing and according to his plan. Do you ever kind of feel that way when you look at the world? You don't get it. I don't understand how this can all be part of God's plan. Or maybe, maybe you've been wronged, or you're facing incredible difficulties. All you're getting is bad news, and you're asking those very questions. God, do you care? God, are you being fair? Is this right? Is this just? And really, the overarching question that you're asking is the same question that Habakkuk has been kind of asking all along, and that is, God, are you there? Are you there? And that question is the culmination, friends, of everything that we've been dealing with to this point. And it's the question that we're going to answer today. And we're going to do it with the help of our friend Habakkuk. So let's kind of bring this study uh, of, our, uh, of the book of Habakkuk, let's kind of bring this to a close. We're going to look at chapter 3. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to look at the third chapter of this minor prophet, right? Just three chapters, five, chapter, or five uh, books from the end of the New Testament. You guys already know where it's at, right? You turn to Habakkuk like that. But we're going to look at chapter 3 because chapter 3 is the exclamation point of this book. You know, it began with a question mark. It ends with an exclamation point. And really, this is the final leg in Habakkuk's journey. This journey of doubt that he's been on. And it ends with this incredible statement of faith that can inspire us and help us on our journey. So let's start reading at verse 1. There Habakkuk writes this. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionath. We'll get to that word, don't worry. But the first thing that we note is that this is, in fact, a prayer. But, you know, it's a little bit different than your regular prayer because, let's face it, most prayers are not written. You guys probably don't write your prayers out. But should we? Should we? Sometimes I think it's really a real good idea. Why not? And it also says on Shigionath, and that's a Hebrew word that we really don't have a good translation for, but we're pretty sure it's either a musical instrument or some kind of a musical term. So what that tells us is that this is a poem set to music. You'll see that at the very end of the psalm. It's a poem that is set to music. Just like many of David's psalms, right? This psalm is to be sung. And Habakkuk goes on in verse 2 to say, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So, Habakkuk is well acquainted with what God has done in the past for his people. 
And this is probably from the readings of the Pentateuch in the temple. They would read the first five books of the Old Testament in the temple. And, and really, most of the Old Testament was written so that people would remember what God had done. Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15 is an excellent example of recounting God's deeds. And then what Habakkuk does is he asks God to repeat them. Other translations use the word revive. Revive. If you're taking notes, write that down. Habakkuk is praying for revival. He knows how God has worked in the past, so he knows that he's going to do that same work in the future. He knows that in the meantime, there is discipline and judgment coming, right? God has already told him that, but he's asking that God would continue to work in his people and bring about a revival after this discipline. And friends, make no mistake, this is something that we should be praying for as well, right? We should be praying, we should be crying out to God for revival. Lord, revive your work in your church as only you can so that your purposes would be accomplished. Lord, revive your church that your name would be lifted up. Revive your church that you would be glorified in all the earth. Lord, revive Hope Church that we might honor you by loving our neighbors, sharing the gospel, and caring for each other. See what I did there? Worked in the omission statement. But friends, this is what we should be praying for. We should be praying for revival. And, and we pray for the church, right? But what we must be acutely aware of is that we are the church. And revival begins with us. Our prayer should be for the church, yes, but it should be for personal revival as well. Lord, revive me. You know, sometimes we blame the church, you know, for sin or lack of dis uh, spiritual power. But we have to remember that we are the church. It starts with us. We're accountable. We need to search ourselves. We need to pray with the psalmist. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, revive me. Habakkuk prays for revival. We should too. And at the end of verse 2, he says, In wrath, remember mercy. So really, Habakkuk has now come to terms with God's plan to judge the nation of Judah and that he would use the Babylonians to do it. He knows that they don't deserve revival. What they deserve is God's wrath and judgment for their sin and their wrongdoing. But he appeals to God's mercy. He prays that God would be good and compassionate on his people. He prays for revival. We need to pray for revival too. And then in verses 3 through 15, which is really the bulk of Habakkuk's prayer, 
we see remembrance. Write that down. Remembrance. We pray for revival and then we remember. And this is really a continuation of the idea that he began in verse 2. We remember. We remember who God is. And we remember what he has done in the past. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing here. In verses 3 and 4, we see what is referred to as a theophany. A theophany, which is a visible manifestation of the presence of God. Very similar to what we read about in Exodus chapter 19, where Moses is on Mount Sinai. And God's presence manifests itself in the thunder, in the lightning, in the cloud, in the pillar of fire. Here, Habakkuk writes, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. That's a theophany. And, and, and in this this theophany, this visible manifestation of the glory of God, we see his incredible power. And what this does is it, it causes Habakkuk to look back. It causes him to flash back to the history of the nation of Israel and how God had led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Verses 5 and 7 says, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Again, you know, a description of the incredible power and the holiness of God. When he talks about plague and pestilence, he's referring to the plague and pestilence in Egypt during the Exodus. And those, those plagues, those pestilence, those are symbols of God's judgment. As Habakkuk knows, God is perfectly holy. He will judge sin. He is all-powerful, and He is eternal. Verses 8 through 11 recount God's reign over all of nature. Again, imagery that involves the Exodus. It says, Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Again, tons of tons of imagery here. But the bottom line is these verses tell us that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all creation, in particular over the waters of the earth. And he used that power to split the rivers and the Red Sea during the Exodus. He allowed his people to walk, and then he destroyed the Egyptians. 
And he did this to save his people, but he did it to demonstrate his great power. And Habakkuk here is remembering what God has done. Verses 12 through 15 recount God's conquest over his enemies. It says, In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the waters. Again, more imagery of the destruction that God brought upon the Egyptians during the Exodus. He's remembering what God has done in the past. And I want to draw your attention in particular for a moment to verse 13. Where Habakkuk says, you came out to deliver your people. See, Habakkuk knows that God will keep his promises. He's kept them in the past. By covenant, he promised to preserve the nation of Israel. Judgment was still coming, right? I mean, remember, this was a prophecy. So judgment was coming. Babylon had yet to invade, but they were going to. That was going to happen. And Habakkuk remembered what God had done in the past. And because of that, he knew that God would deliver once again. And then one more quick mention with the, uh, regard to the end of verse 13. In the New International Version, it says, To save your anointed one. Other translations say, For salvation with your anointed. That's a really really kind of minor change. But what I want us to know is that the Hebrew word for anointed, anybody know what the Hebrew word for anointed is? It's Mashiach. It's Messiah. This prophecy is pointing to the salvation of God's people through the work of the cross, through Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. So let me ask you another quick question. Is it important for us to remember? Is it important for us to remember who God is and what God has done throughout history? Absolutely. And that is one of the main reasons that we have the Bible, friends, to know what God has done throughout history. And that's important. But you know what? It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. And this, it, it is so important to remember how God has worked in your life. You need to remember what God has done for you. It's important to look back and see how he's been faithful. And not just in the good times. You know, that's easy, right? You need to remember, look back and see how God has delivered us through the difficult times. You know, I look back at my life and I see how God saved me from myself. He saved me from myself. 
There was a time, friends, I was on the path that leads to destruction. Absolutely. Living a life that I am not proud of. But that whole time that I had my back turned to God, He was there. Whether I knew it or not, He was there. Whether I acknowledged it or not, He was there watching over me. And friends, He has worked in my life. He has orchestrated the events of my life to bring me to this point, here, today, to share that with you. Remember, it's only when I look back that I fully appreciate all that he's done. Look back and your life and remember God's faithfulness. Remember, remember. But is that enough? Is it enough to remember? That's great. That's great. But what do we see Habakkuk doing here? He's retelling. He's recounting these stories. He's writing it down for others to see, for others to benefit from. Now, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to go and write your story down although that would be great, it really would be. Journaling is a great way to look, at, look back and see how God has been faithful to in the past. But at the very least, friends, tell others. Tell others about how God has worked in your life. We all have a story. That's our testimony. And we're all called to share our testimony with others. Remember and retell, recount your story, just like Habakkuk is doing here. And in verse 16, we see what really is an appropriate response to this kind of vision, to this theophany. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So Habakkuk had just experienced this, this, this theophany. He had just witnessed the power and the majesty of God and it made him afraid. Understandable, right? He experienced a trembling, bone-crushing fear, and he was honest enough to tell us about it. Are there things in this world, or maybe in your life, that cause you to be afraid? You know, maybe with the kind of heart-pounding, lip-quivering fear that Habakkuk experienced here. When that happens, what do you do? What do you do? Well, look at the second half of verse 16 again. Habakkuk tells us, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity 
to come on the nation invading us. You know, God made it clear that the Babylonians would invade. There was no doubt that that was going to happen. But God also told Habakkuk that the Babylonians would eventually be judged themselves. And it is by that judgment, friends, it is by that judgment that the nation of Israel would be redeemed. And despite his fear, despite his fear, Habakkuk had faith. Faith. How? How could he have faith? He remembered. He remembered God's goodness. He remembered God's promise that he would never leave nor forsake his people. Remember. There's one last re, if you will, that we want to learn from our friend Habakkuk. If you're taking notes, write this down. Refocus. Refocus on God and his faithfulness. This is what Paul talked about in Colossians when he said, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Habakkuk says in verse 17 and 18, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You know, Habakkuk knew that tough times were coming. God told him that. And what Habakkuk is saying here is, no matter the circumstances, I choose joy. See, what, what, what Habakkuk has learned through this, this spiritual exercise that we've seen him go through over the past weeks is that he can trust God no matter what. Remember chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Faith in God. Habakkuk chose joy because he knows that God is in control of all that happens. Habakkuk prayed for revival. He remembered God's faithfulness. He recounted the stories. And he refocused on the mighty power of God. And he chose joy. Now when you look at the world or the news, if you do, do you see tough times coming? I don't know. We can't say for sure, but it doesn't look good. Or maybe, maybe when, you, when you consider your own life, you know, your own little world, and you see these difficulties in the future, or maybe you're in the midst of the storm right now, and you're afraid. Friends, let me tell you, it is okay to admit it. It's okay to admit it. Habakkuk admitted it to us. But remember, the righteous live by faith in God. 
you know, Paul has some great advice for us in Philippians chapter 4. Maybe you guys have heard this before, but this is one to hang on to. There he writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want that kind of peace? Pray for revival. Remember, retell your story and refocus on God. If we do that, if we do that, we will be able to say with our friend Habakkuk, as he says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord Yahweh is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Friends, make no mistake, God is there. Now, I know that there are times where you guys maybe wish I was like one of those voice-activated speakers, right? Where you could say, hey, preacher, tell me something good. And then I'd spew out some, you know, warm, fuzzy stuff, you know, that prosperity gospel. That'd be nice, but you know what? That would not be the truth. That would not be the truth. And friends, I am programmed, if you will, to preach the truth. The truth of God's word, even when it makes us a little uncomfortable. Oh, I will tell you something good. And it's exactly what we've learned from our friend Habakkuk over the last several weeks. God is there, whether you know it or not. God cares, even if it doesn't seem like it. He is fair, even if you don't think so. And in the end, friends, he is always right. He's God. He's God, our sovereign, perfectly holy, eternal God of creation. Trust him. The righteous live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and, uh, and Lord, again, we praise you for who you are. You are the sovereign Lord of all creation. We thank you, Lord, for every blessing that you pour out. And Lord, we pray for revival. We pray for revival for your church. We pray for revival within each and every one of us. Oh, Lord, we remember what you've done in the past. We remember your goodness to your people. We remember your promises. And, Lord, we will share that. We will retell those stories. We will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone who will listen. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to refocus on you, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Father, we thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.